1-800-227-5519. And we are live. We have a lot to talk about tonight. It's been a very, very busy week. We saw uh, Donald Trump with his uh, State of the Union address. And uh, there were about 30 false and misleading statements that he told in that State of the Union address. Then also we saw that uh, former uh, gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams gave the uh, Democratic uh, response to his uh, State of the Union address. So we'll talk some about that in the second hour. We see more fallout uh, in Virginia behind the uh, blackface governor, uh, Governor Ralph Northam. He refuses to step down. And we know Reverend Al Sharpton was in uh, Virginia uh, this past week for a rally. Uh, but also do, 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 the lieutenant governor, uh, Governor Justin Fairfax, he's in hot water as well as there have been two uh, women who've come forward to accuse him of uh, sexual misconduct. One claimed rape. He denies uh, both of the allegations. Uh, and he said uh, the acts were consensual. He said he he said not only did he say that um, he is going to fight it, he said he's not going to resign, and he's calling for an FBI investigation as well. Well, at the same time, you have members of the um, you have African American members of the state legislature calling for him to resign, and I think that's a bit premature. Okay, uh, this th- this should be due process for him. I think that's a bit premature to call. For him to, to, for them to call for him to resign, and at the same time, you know, my thing is, if you're going to call for uh, Justin Fairfax to resign, and I posted this on my Facebook fan page, the African History Network, uh, early in the week, if you're going to call for him to resign, you need to call for Donald Trump to resign as well. Donald Trump has 19 accusers. Donald Trump has told 8,100 false and misleading statements uh, in, during his presidency. Okay. And Donald Trump has said uh, many negative things about African-Americans and, and immigrants, et cetera, not before he got to before he got to office. I'm talking about why he has been in office. So if you're going to call for uh, Justin Fairfax to resign from office, then at the same time, you need to call for Donald Trump to resign from office so you can be consistent in your condemnation. OK, so uh, we'll talk about uh, that in the second hour. But in the first hour. Uh, I want to deal with uh, some of the history of blackface. And the reason why is, is because uh, because of what's taking place in Virginia, okay, and the yearbook that surfaced with the uh, blackface picture on the uh, page of now Governor uh, Ralph Northam, okay, and he says it's not him when at first he said it was him. Then he said he talked to his, he talked to classmates who told him it was not him in the picture. And, you know, I said last week, uh, how many uh, how many pictures, how many blackface pictures did you pose for that you had to have other people tell you that that's not you in the picture? How many blackface pictures did you pose for where you weren't sure if this was one of those blackface pictures or not? Then we see the attorney general who came out and voluntarily said he uh, posed in blackface years ago because he and his friends were listening to rappers, and he was dressed up as Curtis Blow, the rapper, the famous rapper Curtis Blow. So he said he wore blackface, right? So with all this taking place, and then also this past week, we saw that Gucci is in trouble because there was a sweater, an $890 sweater, um, that Gucci was advertising on their website, 
And people called it a black face sweater because it had a portion of the sweater that pulls up over the lower portion of your face, uh, kind of like a ski mask, okay, but it's just the lower portion of your face. And um, around the part that goes around your mouth is outlined in red, which kind of looked like red lips, exaggerated red lips. So you had a lot of people on social media, a lot of African-Americans on social media, rightly so, who were uh, who, who were turned off by that and offended by it. So Gucci pulled the product off their website and apologized for it, right? But with all this taking place, and we know a month or so ago, Prada got into trouble with uh, Blackface as well, one of their products with Blackface also. So with all of this taking place, there was a poll that was done, and uh, this poll dealt with uh, blackface, okay? And uh, we'll talk some about that. Atlanta Black Star uh, had an article um, about a uh, new poll that was done that dealt with Americans' views uh, on blackface. Did they think it was acceptable or not acceptable and why, et cetera? A new poll revealed shocking discovery about uh, America's attitude towards blackface, okay? Uh, uh, a new poll reveals uh, sh uh, a shocking discovery about America's attitude toward blackface. And they found that uh, the, the research was conducted by YouGov, okay, an organization called YouGov, which is an international Internet-based uh, market research company. And it was... It was done February 2nd through February 5th of 2019 amid the growing uh, blackface scandals erupting uh, in the U.S. government and across the U.S. So the poll questioned 1,500 Americans uh, of, of, uh, across the country of different races, genders, and party lines. And those polled were asked, quote, is it acceptable or unacceptable for white people to wear blackface makeup. Is it acceptable or unacceptable for white people to wear blackface makeup? Now, remember, just last year, it was Megyn Kelly on NBC who, during a panel discussion, talking about blackface, things like this, and she didn't have, if I remember correctly, she didn't have any African-Americans there on that panel. And she said she didn't think there was anything wrong with wearing blackface. She, she didn't see anything wrong with wearing blackface, something to that effect. Next thing we know, she's out of NBC. Right? She shouldn't have been hired at NBC in the first place because, see, that pissed off Tamron Hall. That's why Tamron Hall left NBC. So she shouldn't have been hired in the first place, okay? She came from Fox News. NBC was trying to get some of the Fox News watchers, some of the conservative watchers over to NBC. That's what that was all about. So in this new poll that just came out, the majority of Republicans said they were fine with blackface with 29% as opposed to only 6% of Democrats, 29% um, as opposed to only 6% of Democrats coming to that same conclusion. 81% of Democrats found wearing blackface was outright unacceptable compared to 44% of Republicans who shared the same feeling. So 81% of Democrats polled. There were 1,500 people polled in this survey. OK, 81 percent of the Democrats uh, surveyed said wearing blackface was outright unacceptable compared to 44 percent of Republicans who shared the same feeling. Now, 27 percent of Republicans were unsure 
about their feelings on blackface, okay, while 14% of Democrats were not certain, all right? You can check this out at uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com, AtlantaBlackStar.com, and they have the link to the actual poll. So with all this going on, and some people confused about blackface, and then let's be quite clear, a lot of African Americans don't understand the hist- uh, don't understand our history either. Okay, a lot of African Americans don't understand the history of slavery, and we know this is African American History Month as well. You know, I've been speaking at a lot of churches. I think uh, this coming Saturday, I'm speaking at two churches. Was it one church and uh, two other places? And I'm speaking at two churches this week. So. Uh, we're going to deal with some of the history of blackface and why it is so offensive. We talked a little bit about this last week. And then also February 8th, uh, this past week, February 8th, was the 104th anniversary of the opening of the movie The Birth of a Nation. The opening of the movie The Birth of a Nation. So we're going to deal with some of the history uh, of The Birth of a Nation and specifically will deal with how African-Americans fought back against this movie, The Birth of a Nation. Because we had protests against this movie when it, when it came out. It debuted February 8th, 1915. The NAACP led protests against this movie uh, because all the negative stereotypical images of African-Americans were depicted in this, were depicted in this movie. And most of the African-American characters in the movie were white people in blackface. Imagine that. So this, this, was, this is an example of how we see history in the headlines. So we'll deal with some of the history of blackface and why it is so offensive. And then also we'll tie that into the history of the movie The Birth of a Nation, which rejuvenated the Ku Klux Klan, if you, do, if you don't know. I talked about that, uh, what was it, Friday? Friday I was out at uh, Smith Chapel Church in Inkster, Michigan, and uh, we'll share some of that, uh, uh, that discussion that took place. Um, they in Eastern Michigan, you know, they have 28 days of African American History Month, 28 days of events celebrating African American History Month, and they're showing the six-part series over the course of six days. Uh, many rivers to cross the African Americans, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. Um, and I'm doing, I'm leading the discussions after each one of these showings. Okay, so we'll give you information on the next ones because they have a couple coming up this week. So. Also, Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, he said he won't resign. Lieutenant uh, Governor Justin Fairfax denies sexual assault ac- accusations and calls for FBI investigation. Then there was an article from AtlantaBlackStar.com uh, this past week also that dealt with blackface photos reopens a long history of bigotry in medicine. Blackface photos reopen a long history of of bigotry in medicine, okay? And we know that recently we've heard stories about how African-American women died disproportionately during childbirth in hospitals, okay? And a lot of this has to do with not the fact that, not, not, it's not because they may be poor. It has to do with a lot of stereotypical views that some doctors have and they have existed for years in medicine when it comes to African-Americans, especially African-American women. Women, African-American women who have multiple degrees, who have money, okay, 
they can be victimized by this as well. And Serena Williams talked about her story. She's a multimillionaire, and she talks about her story, how she almost died during childbirth and how the doctors did not want to listen to her. Okay? So these stereotypes are wide-ranging. Wide Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race, which comes out of the ideology of European white supremacy. Okay? Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race, which comes out of the ideology of white supremacy. And then we're going to, uh, in the last segment of the second hour, we'll fact check some of Donald Trump's lies that he told during his State of the Union address this past uh, Tuesday. And he only mentioned African-Americans twice, once dealing with prison reform. He had some African-Americans there who had uh, were let out of prison. They had their sentences commuted uh, or, uh, or received a pardon because of the First Step Act. And then also he talked about the lowest unemployment rate of African-Americans in history, even though it's gone back up. He doesn't talk about that. And he doesn't talk about why it's usually double that of the white unemployment rate. He doesn't even get into that like it doesn't even exist. All right. We're coming up on a break. Listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Bella Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. 2019 is here and there's no better time to start working on your financial goals. My name is Martisha Patterson and I am a certified financial planner with over 19 years in the wealth management industry. I am helping people just like you focus on and achieve their goals. If you need help with budgeting, saving for emergencies or retirement, if you want to start investing but don't know where to start, I am here to help. No need to feel alone or frustrated. No one's situation is the same, which is why you need a certified financial planner to develop a unique plan tailored to your specific needs. Contact me today. My phone number is 646-552-4384. Again, 646-552-4384. Or email me at pattersonplan17 at gmail.com. My website is pattersonplan17.com. No more excuses. Now is the time. My name is Martisha Patterson, and I am here to help. Do you have a child with ADHD? autism, or another special need? Would you like to treat your child holistically and avoid pharmaceuticals and stimulants if possible? If so, you need to head over to OurKidsCanThrive.com, OurKidsCanThrive.com, and take the Holistic Special Kids course. Shava, a mother to four boys, ages 12 to 5, and a daughter who is almost 3 years old, has dealt with hyperactivity, anxiety, depression, severe anger, sensory processing disorders, chronic fatigue, and more. And now her children are all thriving. Chava is a holistic ADHD coach and has helped many children privately and now. She shared all of the tips, tricks, herbs, foods, and supplements she has used to treat her own children and many others. Head over to OurKidsCanThrive.com and sign up for the course now. This is business, but to my credit life, it's personal. They care about your credit as much as you do. They want you to get the credit you deserve in the shortest amount of time. Not only will they dispute the negative items from your reports, they'll also work with you to build positive credit for future endeavors. They keep it simple in their approach to getting you back on track with their three-step process, review, dispute, and update. 
They dispute all inconsistent items on your credit report, such as medical bills, evictions, tax liens, judgments, student loans, collections, charge-offs, late payments, bankruptcy, and more. Don't let your dreams just be dreams. Get started today. Call My Credit Life at 331-201-9881, 331-201-9881, and ask for Robin, and also visit their website, mycreditlife.com, L-Y-F-E, mycreditlife.com, and visit them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash mycreditcoach. Looking for technology for your home or business? No problem. From laptops to Chromebooks, Surface tablets, antivirus security software to business phone systems, JCW Computer Consulting LLC has got you covered. Be sure to use the African History Network custom link for discount and special promotions. JCWCC is a certified minority business enterprise and part of the iBuyBlack network. Visit shop.jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. The Kwame Skate Company strives to responsibly make meaningful product for the black community that not only exemplifies our lifestyle, but enhances the ability to live it. To provide value to our customers and deliver top quality customer service while still having fun and maintaining our values. Our brand platform offers compelling product assortments, meaningful brand experiences, and convenient multi-channel accessibility that reflects our respect and knowledge of both indigenous people and skateboard lifestyle. Our community is committed to growth and development, to understanding and showing the world that Kwame and the indigenous community can do so much more. Visit their website today, KwameSCO.com. KwameSCO.com. Ready to start getting healthy? Well, I'm here to let you know that all natural honey is a great way to start. At Crazy Boy Honey, we offer all natural honey for the lowest prices. Our honey has no additives or preservatives. Go to crazyboyhoney.com. That's crazyboyhoney.com and see what we have to offer. And remember, shipping is free. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It's Sunday, 9 p.m. It's Sunday, um, uh, February 10th, 2019, and we're live. Uh, 313-778-7600 is the call-in number. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. All right, so uh, we're broadcasting on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. So you can watch, watch us there and also on 910 AM Superstation's uh, fan page. Uh, the African uh, uh, 910 AM Superstation Facebook fan page also, okay? You'll see me there as well. Share these uh, broadcasts on your Facebook page. All right, so uh, I want to deal some with the history of blackface, all right? And we know the history of blackface goes back to uh, during slavery, all right? And we see it uh, basically originate in the late 1820s, right around 1828, 1829, um, and we see um, the rise of the minstrel shows, and we see a man named T.D. Rice, Thomas Dartmouth Rice, okay? So we have to understand that these uh, characters of blackface were created to dehumanize African Americans 
And they, they were created to dehumanize African-Americans, and they were created to show us being as dim-witted, unintelligent. And also the South is making the case that slavery is a good system. They're making the case that slavery is a good system and that the um, slaves are being well taken care of on the plantations by the slave masters and that if uh, the slaves can't take care of themselves on their own, this is why slavery needs to uh, be maintained. This is this. These are the arguments that uh, the South is making. Okay. All right. So if, if we look at an article from uh, CNN.com, the racist origins of blackface, the racist origins of blackface, uh, it talks about how blackface isn't just about painting one's skin darker or putting on a costume. It invokes a race, a, a racist and painful history. The origins of blackface date back to the minstrel shows of, of the mid-19th century, the 1800s. And white performers darkened their skin with polish and cork, put on tattered clothing, and exaggerated their features to look stere- uh, stereotypically black. The first minstrel shows mimicked enslaved Africans on southern plantations depicting black people as lazy, ignorant, cowardly, or hypersexual, or hypersexual, to the, uh, according to the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture. Okay, now the performances were intended to be funny to white audiences, but to the black community they were demeaning and hurtful. And once again, they're showing African Americans as being dim-witted, unintelligent, docile, and obedient, largely. And they are making the case that um, these people can't take care of themselves either. They need uh, to be slaves. They need white people to look after them. They can't fend for themselves. All right. So these were very negative stereotypical images. And these a lot of these images still persist today. But oftentimes people don't know where they come from. So the and once again, the menstrual shows are going to going to become the most popular form of entertainment in the country, okay? The menstrual shows become the most popular form of uh, entertainment in the country, not just in the South, but up North also. All right, now, one of the most popular blackface characters was Jim Crow, Jim Crow. And, And the Jim Crow character was developed by performer and playwright Thomas Dartmouth Rice, D A R T. D-A-R-T-M-O-U-T-H, Thomas Dartmouth Rice, R-I-C-E. You may see him referred to as T.D. Rice, T.D. Rice, or also you may see him referred to as Thomas Daddy Rice as well. All right, I've seen all that because I've researched him. Now, as part of a traveling solo act, Thomas Dartmouth Rice wore a black cork, blackface mask and raggedy clothing, spoke in stereotypical black vernacular and performed a caricatured song and and dance routine that he said he learned from a slave, a slave boy, a slave male, a teenage slave male or early, early 20s. And this is according to the University of South Florida Library. And according to the story, he sees this uh, teenage male tending to the uh, animals, tending to livestock. And the 
uh, teenage uh, enslaved male is singing a song. Turn around, jump around. I jump just so. Every time I turn around, I jump Jim Crow. Okay? So he's going to then, T.D. Rice is then going to create this Jim Crow character. And he does this dance on stage and, and imitates an enslaved, enslaved Africans. And white people love it. So then you have all these other men who are going to do the same thing. And this is known as the birth of the minstrel shows. And T.D. Rice is known as the father of the minstrel shows. All right. And the minstrel shows are going to become the most popular form of uh, entertainment in the country. Not just the not just the South, but the North. It's then going to go, and, and when you study vaudeville, the vaudeville acts, and you study the minstrel shows, they travel across the country, all right? When radio starts, and you have radio shows in the early 1900s, this then, this whole, this whole concept is then going to go to radio. And that the most popular show that depicted this was the radio show Amos and Andy, which starts in the 1920s. Amos and Andy is created by two white men named Freeman Gosden and Charles Correll. Freeman Gosden and Charles Correll. Okay. And sometimes for uh, promotional material, sometimes they would uh, perform Amos and Andy in blackface as well. There's still pictures that exist of them in blackface. Uh, if you read this article from CNN, they have a picture, a promotional picture of Freeman Gosden and Charles Correll in um, character of Amos and Andy and blackface. And then when we look at the movie, the birth of a nation, which we'll talk to, which we'll talk about later. If we look at the movie, the birth of a nation, we see that um, the movie, the birth of a nation, most of those people in that movie were uh, white people in blackface as well. All right. So there's a, there's a deep history behind this. And the movie The Birth of a Nation caused race riots in the streets. And the movie depicted white men trying to rape white virgins in 1915, when you have rampant lynchings taking place in this country. Okay? So there's a, there's a deep history behind this. All right, so though, though early minstrel shows started in New York, they quickly spread to audiences in both the North and the South. By 1845, minstrel shows spawned their own industry. Its influence, its influence extended into the 20th century. You had Al Jolson, okay? Remember Al Jolson singing Mammy, okay? Al Jolson performed in blackface in the, in the uh, movie The Jazz Singer, which was a hit movie in 1927. And American actors like Shirley Temple, Ju Judy Garland, Okay, Judy Garland, mother of Liza Minnelli. Judy Garland was Dorothy in the original um, Wizard of Oz. Okay, and we all remember seeing Shirley Temple. When I remember seeing Shirley Temple when I was a little kid, just the old black and white uh, movies of Shirley Temple and Bill Bojangles Robinson. Okay, so uh, you had American actors like Shirley Temple and Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney, they put on blackface in some of their movies also. So the characters were so pervasive that even some black performers put on blackface, historians say. One of them was Burt Williams. And Burt Williams um, 
was one of the most popular African-American performers to put on blackface. All right. There's a documentary um, narrated by Esther Roll, who was Florida Evans on Good Times. And it's called Ethnic Notions, Ethnic Notions. Google that documentary because it deals with the whole history, a lot of these negative stereotypes and how they uh, how we saw them depicted in media and movies and radio shows, things like this, ethnic notions. Okay, so the characters were so pervasive that even so blackface performer, even some blackface performers, even some black performers put on blackface, historians say. It was the only way they could work. It was the only way they could work, as white audiences were not interested in watching African-American actors do anything but act foolish on stage. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, what's happened is that many of our people today only want to see us act a fool on stage and music videos and movies, things like this. So you have a proliferation of negative stereotypical images in the media today. But, you see, when we deal with the history of the movie The Birth of the Nation, we used to protest and fight against that stuff. Today, we sit up and watch it and participate in it. We sit up and watch Love and Hip Hop, which is one of the most derogatory, degrading, degenerative, transmogrified shows on, on, on the television today. And they have franchises of Love and Hip Hop, which is, which is designed to negatively depict African Americans, and it targets our youth and, I guess, millennials. And I mean, th- I mean th- that that talk about dysfunction. They all need to go see a young and Yala uh, Van Zant. They all need her to fix their lives. So let's continue. Three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the calling number. Three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the calling number. If you have a question or comment, and we're going to go to this uh, uh, clip from ABC News here in just a minute, and. Um, let me see. And uh, is Nikki? Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So I'm sending that to you now. All right. So uh, now William Henry Lane, William Henry Lane was one of these African-American entertainers. Okay. He was known as Master Juba, J-U-B-A. And he was one of the first African-American entertainers to perform in blackface. His shows were very popular, and he's even credited with inventing tap dance. According to John Hanner's book, it was play or starve. It was play or starve, acting in 19th century American popular theater. It was play or starve, acting in 19th century American popular theater. Now, despite Lane's relative success, Henry Lane's relative success, he was limited to the minstrel show circuit, and for most of his life performed for supper. He eventually died, quote, from something as simple and as pathetic as overwork, end quote, said uh, John Hanner, okay, in, in his book. So such negative representations of black people left a damaging legacy in popular culture, especially in art and in entertainment. Menstrual shows were usually the only depiction of African-American life that white audiences saw. So these were white people in blackface in general, just making fun of, ridiculing, dehumanizing African-Americans for the enjoyment and pleasure of white people. 
presenting enslaved Africans as the butt of jokes, desensitized white Americans to the horrors of slavery. The performers also promoted demeaning stereotypes uh, of black people that helped confirm white people's notions of superiority. So when we look at blackface, it's one of the tools of white supremacy used to not just ridicule African-Americans, but to help keep us in a subservient place in society, which then reinforced white supremacy and made, and made many white people feel superior to African-Americans because they can see all these negative stereotypical images of, images of us and see us being depicted as buffoons and things like this, right? And then when you study the Jim Crow character, now Ferris State University, Ferris State University in Michigan uh, has a Jim Crow museum, okay? And you can go online. You can go to Ferris State uh, University's website, all right? And they have um, the Jim Crow Museum. And on their website, they deal with all these negative stereotypical images. Go to Ferris, F-E-R-R-I-S, like Ferris Bueller, Ferris.edu forward slash, forward slash Jim Crow. And you can get a lot of this history. And what happens is, is that the Jim Crow character, he's going to have a sidekick that's going to be created. And the sidekick's name is Zip Coon. Okay, Z-I-P-C-O-N-C-O-O-N, Zip Coon. And, the, and Zip Coon was, um, he was a free black from the north. And he was what was also known as a dandy. So he was a well-dressed, um, he was a well-dressed African-American man. But he was designed to make fun of um, the uh, enslaved Africans and to show that trying to educate them was a waste of time. Okay, so uh, Zip Coon would try to use uh, big words that he didn't understand, and he tried to speak intelligent, intelligently, but he didn't make sense. And this was a way of Southerners saying that trying to educate African Americans, trying to teach them how to read, etc., was a waste of time, and making the argument that even if you invested all this money in trying to educate them, right, it's still not going to work. So this is why slavery is still needed, because we take care of them. Okay, they're not able to fend for themselves. So, so, so Zip Coon was the sidekick to the Jim Crow character. So when you when you study this, this was deep. Okay, this was programming. And unfortunately, many people, white and African American, don't understand this history. All right. So the performances promoted demeaning stereotypes of black people that helped confirm white people's notions of superiority. Quote, by distorting the features and culture of African Americans, including their looks, language, dance, deportment, and character, white Americans were able to codify whiteness or codify whiteness across class and geopolitical lines as its antithesis, okay? So they're showing being white as the antithesis of being these ignorant enslaved African people or an ignorant free black who's up north. 
So in modern discussion over blackface, its racist history is often swept under the rug or shrouded in claims of ignorance. In a 2018 segment on Megyn Kelly Today on NBC about political correctness and Halloween costumes, former NBC talk show host and, and uh, host Megyn Kelly said that when she was growing up, it was seen as acceptable for a white person to dress as a black person. Okay? When was this? Now, we're not saying um, a, a white person dressing up as Michael Jackson. We're saying wearing blackface. So Reverend Al Sharpton talked about how during the uh, 1984 Victory Tour, I think it was the Victory Tour, and Michael Jackson and his brothers were traveling across the country. He said he was the uh, community liaison. He traveled with them. Okay, and he said we saw white kids all across the country dressed up as Michael Jackson. They had the beaded jackets on. They had the pants that were flooding. They had the the white glove. He said, but none of these white kids that we saw were in blackface imitating Michael Jackson. So it's not just dressing up imitating African-Americans it's putting on blackface. Okay. So she said when she, Megyn Kelly said when she was growing up, it was seen as acceptable for a white person to dress as a black person. She said, quote, but, but, but what is racist? Because you do get in trouble if you are a white person who puts on blackface on Halloween or a black person who puts on whiteface for Halloween. Back when I was a kid, that was okay as long as you were dressed up as like a character, end quote. I, and I, I'm not sure where she grew up. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't, <laughs> I'm not sure when she grew up. Okay, but no, it wasn't acceptable. Her comments sparked widespread anger. She apologized, but her show was ultimately canceled. Her show should have been canceled. She, she shouldn't even been on NBC in the first place. And she brought on Roland Martin to explain to her the history of blackface and all this stuff. Roland did a good job. You can watch it on his YouTube channel, Roland Martin, R-O-L-A-N-D, on uh YouTube. Now, white celebrities, college students, and even elected officials have made similar claims of ignorance over past and current controversies involving blackface. Now, how is it today, 2019, some of them, I can understand if they don't really understand the full history of the transatlantic slave trade, things like this, but after these instances keep coming out, how is it you still think you don't understand, oh, blackface is offensive? At least Governor Northam Acknowledge that blackface is offensive. At least he realized it. Okay. Governor Northam, Ralph Northam of uh, Virginia. Now, the article goes on to say minstrelsy, comedic performances of black of blackness by whites in exaggerated costumes and makeup cannot be separated fully from the racial derision and stereotyping at its core. Okay. So, yes, is wrong, and there's, there's a whole history behind blackface, okay? Now, if we look at this article from um, abcnews.com, abcnews.com has a really good article. Virginia, back, Virginia blackface scandals, a reminder of racist practice and its traumatic effect on African Americans, okay? I'm going to go to this clip here. Uh, and then we're going to uh, talk about this article. This article deals with some of the history of blackface. Let's go to this clip.
minority leader is now facing questions about a yearbook featuring racist photos and slurs. Our chief national affairs correspondent, Tom Yamath, is tracking it all from Richmond. And Tom, this is truly chaotic in Virginia. That is right, Michael, and good morning. Now, Virginia's elected Democrats are still calling on Governor Northam to resign. Remember, he is a Democrat as well. But when it comes to Lieutenant Governor Fairfax and those sexual assault allegations, they're asking for more answers, some even calling for an investigation, but no one's actually taking action and launching an investigation. This morning, Virginia lawmakers trying to work through scandal after scandal, which has some asking who's in charge. Governor Ralph Northam hasn't been seen in public since Saturday, when he admitted to appearing in blackface back in 1984. And Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax accused of sexually assaulting Dr. Vanessa Tyson, a political science professor back in 2004 at the Democratic National Convention. Dr. Tyson said the encounter left her in tears. Oh, you remember Dr. Tyson ever crying? Look, it's good you, to see you. You remember Dr. Tyson ever crying? Good to see you guys. We're heading to session. Fairfax, who didn't want to comment, has said the encounter was consensual and has described the allegation as part of a smear campaign. Local and national Democrats, including presidential candidates, calling for an inquiry. I think there should be an investigation to get to the bottom of it and determine the facts. And now a Republican having to explain something from his past. The Virginian Pilot newspaper reporting that Senate Majority Leader Thomas Norman was managing editor of the 1968 yearbook of the Virginia Military Institute, which featured several students in blackface and comments with racial slurs. Senator Norman later saying he was not in any of those photos and that he advocated for racial integration when he was at VMI. Senator, how do you explain to Virginians that you said you supported integration at VMI in 1968? Yet there were all those racist photos and slurs in that yearbook. How would you explain that to Virginians? Well, when I was there, there were no ladies and there were no minorities other than Asian minorities that were there. Um, and it was very apparent as we moved into the late 60s and into the 70s uh, that attitudes were, were changing. Now, both the governor and the lieutenant governor have issued signs that they are not resigning. As for the attorney general, you'll remember he also admitted to appearing in blackface. It seems elected Democrats are taking his apology as more sincere than the governor's because they're standing by him. Cecilia? A lot of questions about how they're going to move forward there. Tom, thank you. Okay. All right. So that was from um, ABC News. That was on Good Morning America. Uh, check out this article from abcnews.go.com. Virginia blackface scandals, a reminder of racist practice and its traumatic effect on African-Americans. Now, remember, it was in Virginia, August 20, 1619, that the Dutch warship with 20-some-odd Negroes came into Jamestown, Virginia. That was in Virginia, okay? Now, if you heard me talk before, if you were at my lecture I did Saturday in Nandy's Knowledge Cafe, dealing with um, Wakanda Forever, how Black Panther reconnects African-Americans to African culture and history. I talked about how even though August 20th, 1619 did happen, African people, we've been in this land that we call the United States of America going back at least 51,700 years. We've been here continuously, even before Native Americans came into existence. So you, sh you should read the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence, by Dr. David M. Hotel, who goes deep into that history, Okay. All right, uh, let's go quickly to the phone lines. Let's go to Larry, line one. Uh, Larry, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. Uh, Michael, I'm calling from Sandusky, Ohio. Sandusky, Ohio, okay. 
Yes, sir. My 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 my, my uh, reason for calling, and I'll be really quick with this, is that Michael, I am more traumatized uh, by uh, the way that my parents raised me. I'm 62 years old. Okay. Uh, I was raised on the Little Rascals. I was raised on this whole thing about Amos and Andy, mm-hmm. uh, the Long Rangers, and there's just a host of shows that my parents, my loving parents, set me down and had me to be babysitted by the television with that type of uh, imagery in, in my heart and my mind. I, I, I am not so offended about this whole thing about blackface as much as I am about how now we could do better, but we don't. These reality shows, Michael, they're worse than someone running around with uh, minstrel shows as far as uh, uh, blackface. The, the, some of this stuff that they have out now, Mm-hmm. How it how it depicts us as a, as a, as black people as human beings it, it is degrading. It all it comes out of white supremacy. It's, it's all it's all connected. Exactly. It's not separate. It all comes out of white supremacy. I have no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But our role it, that we play in the whole thing that's what confuses me, Michael. Thank you for taking my call, sir. Okay, no problem. Thank, keep listening. All right, let's go to June line two. June, welcome to the African History Network show. Thanks for holding. Holding, tell us where you're calling oh, from. You're quite, you're quite welcome, and thank you for giving us that wonderful uh, information regarding the uh, the school, the medical school where this doctor came from. Because I I think that somebody is it the National Institute of Health or mm-hmm. it's another uh, uh, that investigating. They are investigating what are they teaching at that particular medical school? Because right. we see all all the time, young man, uh, they they got Ebola. They got the red, the yellow uh, fever, malaria, all them kind of things. Where are they getting all of these diseases from? The African countries need to get up off that two cents that they get put into their box, you know, their pockets, and don't let those so-called doctors into their countries because I think they're giving them the terrible things and making them sick is what I think. Okay. All right. What do you think? Uh, it depends, but I got I, I got to get back to the I got a lot I have a lot more information to get to, so it it, well, de- it depends upon information. No problem. Thanks excellent. for calling. Thanks for calling. All right. Um. Okay, so I want to go to this article now dealing with the uh, from abcnews.com. Virginia blackface scandals: a reminder of racist practice and its traumatic effect on African Americans. Okay. And uh, you can uh, read this article in its entirety, and it has the clip that I just played dealing with um, the elected officials there in Virginia. But this article also talks about some of the history of blackface, okay? And it, it, it says the blackface incidents revealed cracks in the foundation of state politics in Virginia. The tentacles of slavery run deep in this country, in Virginia in particular, the Dutch brought the first handful of slaves to be bought and sold as property on the banks of the Chesapeake. Okay. Uh, today, what's known about the physical bondage of chattel slavery often ignores the psychological methods used to dehumanize black people. The two worked in concert from the beginning. Okay. Once again, What's known about the physical bondage of chattel slavery often ignores the psychological methods used to dehumanize black people. The two worked in concert from the beginning. Since the 1830s, blackface has projected gross animalistic representations of African Americans, the worst ideas of them, and how they are outside the sphere of humanity. 
So it also depicted them as being subhuman. And you're going to have the images of the, the mammies and the coons and things like this, the uncles, et cetera, the pickaninnies. And it's depicting them, even in the minstrel shows, it is depicting them also as being subhuman. And it, it, it further justifies the mistreatment and enslavement of African people. And it uh, so, so it was an effective tool to maintain racial boundaries and reinforce the notion that black people were ultimately inferior, experts say. When you read Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGruy, Dr. Joy DeGruy in Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome talks about uh, cognitive dissonance. She talks about how you put negative terms and labels on people to reclassify them, to change the way people think about them, to then justify the mistreatment of these people and absolve yourself of any, uh, absolve your conscience of any conflict or any responsibility because the, they're not human. They're subhuman, so it's okay to mistreat them. They're just slaves. It's okay to mistreat them. They're just heathens. They're not Christians. They're pagans. So it's, it's okay to enslave them for the rest of their lives and to separate their families and to beat them and to rape them because, they, because they're not human. So, you, so you, you change the way that you label people. You change the names that you refer to people as to then change the way people think about them to justify their mistreatment. It's the same thing Trump does with undocumented immigrants. He calls them criminals. He says they're bringing, they're bringing drugs and they're raping our women and things like this. But he has them working at his golf courses in New York and New Jersey. At the same time, he's attacking undocumented immigrants. He has them working for him at his golf courses in New York and New Jersey. And if you saw A.M. Joy, Joanne Reed, this morning on MSNBC, she did a story of how Trump has historically employed undocumented immigrants. In the 1980s, he used them to build Trump Tower. It was, it was undocumented Polish immigrants. Okay? So we, we have to be cognizant of this history and understand how these labels are put on us. This is why I don't, I don't call brothers and sisters the N-word. This is why I don't call our sisters derogatory names. Because those terms are used to then justify the mistreatment. You don't call a sister the B-word to elevate her and say, this, this is who I want to marry. You don't call them fox and all types of things like this to elevate them and put them on the pedestal. You do that to, to, to denigrate and deride them to then justify the mistreatment of them. Okay, we're coming up on a break. You listen to the African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation of Future Radio. We're going to continue when we come back from the break, and we'll deal with some of the history of the film uh, The Birth of a Nation, the original Birth of a Nation, which debuted February 8, 1915, and how African Americans organized to protest and fight against this uh, dehumanizing movie. 9, 10 a.m. Superstation of Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. 2019 is here and there's no better time to start working on your financial goals. My name is Martisha Patterson and I am a certified financial planner with over 19 years in the wealth management industry. I am helping people just like you focus on and achieve their goals. If you need help with budgeting, saving for emergencies or retirement, if you want to start investing but don't know where to start, I am here to help. No need to feel alone or frustrated. No one's situation is the same, which is why you need a certified financial planner to develop a unique plan tailored to your specific needs. 
Contact me today. My phone number is 646-552-4384. Again, 646-552-4384. Or email me at pattisonplan17 at gmail.com. My website is pattisonplan17.com. No more excuses. Now is the time. My name is Marticia Patterson, and I am here to help. Do you have a child with ADHD, autism, or another special need? Would you like to treat your child holistically and avoid pharmaceuticals and stimulants if possible? If so, you need to head over to OurKidsCanThrive.com, OurKidsCanThrive.com, and take the Holistic Special Kids course. Shava, a mother to four boys, ages 12 to 5, and a daughter who is almost three years old, has dealt with hyperactivity, anxiety, depression, severe anger, sensory processing disorders, chronic fatigue, and more. And now her children are all thriving. Chava is a holistic ADHD coach and has helped many children privately and now. She shared all of the tips, tricks, herbs, foods, and supplements she has used to treat her own children and many others. Head over to OurKidsCanThrive.com and sign up for the course now. This is business, but to my credit life, it's personal. They care about your credit as much as you do. They want you to get the credit you deserve in the shortest amount of time. Not only will they dispute the negative items from your reports, they'll also work with you to build positive credit for future endeavors. They keep it simple in their approach to getting you back on track with their three-step process, review, dispute, and update. They dispute all inconsistent items on your credit report such as medical bills, evictions, tax liens, judgments, student loans, collections, charge-offs, late payments, bankruptcy, and more. Don't let your dreams just be dreams. Get started today. Call My Credit Life at 331-201-9881. 331-201-9881 and ask for Robin and also visit their website, mycreditlife.com, L-Y-F-E, mycreditlife.com and visit them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash mycreditcoach. Looking for technology for your home or business? No problem. From laptops to Chromebooks, Surface tablets, antivirus security software to business phone systems, JCW Computer Consulting LLC has got you covered. Be sure to use the African History Network custom link for discount and special promotions. JCWCC is a certified minority business enterprise and part of the I Buy Black Network. Visit shop.jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. The Kwame Skate Company strives to responsibly make meaningful product for the black community that not only exemplifies our lifestyle, but enhances the ability to live it. To provide value to our customers and deliver top quality customer service while still having fun and maintaining our values. Our brand platform offers compelling product assortments, meaningful brand experiences, and convenient multi-channel accessibility that reflects our respect and knowledge of both indigenous people 
and skateboard lifestyle. Our community is committed to growth and development, to understanding and showing the world that Kwame and the indigenous community can do so much more. Visit their website today, KwameSCO.com. KwameSCO.com. Ready to start getting healthy? Well, I'm here to let you know that all natural honey is a great way to start. At Crazy Boy Honey, we offer all natural honey for the lowest prices. Our honey has no additives or preservatives. Go to crazyboyhoney.com. That's crazyboyhoney.com and see what we have to offer. And remember, shipping is free. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It's Sunday, February 10th, 2019. Sunday, February 10th, 2019. And we are live. I um, want to let you know that for the month of February, I'm doing a series of lectures at Nandy's Knowledge Cafe, located at 71 Oakman Avenue in Highland Park, Michigan. A new location, 71 Oakman Avenue in Highland Park, Michigan, uh, right off of Hamilton. And uh, so Saturday, February 16th, I'll be doing a double lecture there. I'll deal with uh, the history of the Rosewood Massacre uh, in Florida of 1923 and how an, an entire black town was wiped out because a white woman lied. So we'll deal with the Rosewood Massacre of uh, 1923, and then also we'll deal with a, a history of how African-American jockeys used to dominate horse racing. African-Americans used to dominate horse racing. Some of your early winners of the Kentucky Derby were black, okay? These were black jockeys, and we were pushed out of horse racing. We, was, uh, we were sabotaged. There was a concerted effort to push us out of horse racing. Okay, so we're going to deal with that history also. Uh, so the, the two remaining Saturdays in February, uh, 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. at Nandy's Knowledge Cafe, free event, donations accepted. Uh, I'll have my DVD lectures there also. So come on out. We'll get the flyer up on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, uh, on Monday. And then uh, I'll be speaking, let's see. Um, now, I'm speaking in three locations on Saturday, February 16th. I'm speaking at a church at 9 a.m., um, and I'll give you that information here in just a minute. And then also, when I when I leave Nandy's Knowledge Cafe, I have to head over to the Booker Dozier Center in Inkster, Michigan, 2025 um, Middle Belt in uh, Inkster, Michigan, Inkster, Michigan, because they're, they're having a Middle Passage commemoration and ceremony there dealing with the Middle Passage, the transatlantic slave trade. And I'm the keynote speaker, so I'll be speaking there. So I'm speaking three places on Saturday, February 16th. If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, email me at customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com, customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com, okay? If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, and uh, we'll make it happen. All right, and then uh, also on... Let's see, February 17th, Sunday, February 17th, I'll be speaking over at uh, St. Francis uh, Church, 7021, 7021 West Warren Avenue, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, 7021 West Warren Avenue, Detroit, Michigan, St. Francis Church, February 17th. Uh, and this starts at uh, 4 p.m., I guess, 3 p.m., starts at 3 p.m., 3 p.m. And uh, they have food available for purchase. I'll have my DVD lectures there. Also, and I'll be speaking done with African-American History Month, the origins of it. We'll talk some about the film Black Panther um, as well. OK. All right. So right before the break, we were dealing with some of the history of blackface. 
and we were talking about why blackface is offensive, but actually dealing with some of the origins of it and the history of blackface and how it ties into the history of slavery as well. And unfortunately, most African-Americans as well as white people don't really understand the history of uh, slavery in this country. Okay. And this is why the whole educational system, the way history is taught in the schools, this is why that has to be changed. Uh, uh, across the country, okay? And when we deal with Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who created Negro History Week in 1926, Dr. Carter G. Woodson felt that the history of African Americans needed to be taught in every school across the country, okay? He felt the history of African Americans needed to be taught in every school uh, across the country. All right, so let's go back to this article dealing with, and then we'll go to the phone lines in just a minute, so Chuck, uh, stand by. Okay, let's go back to this article uh, from abcnews.com, uh, abcnews.go.com. Virginia blackface scandals, a reminder of racist practice and its traumatic effect on African Americans. Okay? And uh, this article is from February 9th, 2019, written by Zachary Keish, K-I-E-S-H, S-C-H, K-I-E-S-C-H. And the article goes on to say, uh, since the 1830s, blackface has projected gross animalistic representations of African Americans, the worst ideas, of, the worst ideas of them, and how they are outside the sphere of humanity. It was an effective tool to maintain racial boundaries and reinforce the notion that blackface that black people were ultimately inferior. Experts say. Now, Brandy Thompson Summers is an assistant professor of African-American studies and associate uh, executive director at the Institute of Inclusion, Inquiry, and Innovation at Virginia Commonwealth University. Okay. She said, quote, it started being associated with presumably authentic representations of black people, specifically plantation slave culture. It was a way to mock and mark black incompetence in various areas, dance, fashion, song, language, and knowledge. The blackface character was an inept, angry, and, uncontro and uncontrollable in every way. The blackface character was inept, angry, and uncontrollable in every way. Now, a lot of these blackface characters are showing them as being happy, and singing and dance and things like this. And this is the way many of them are depicted in the movie The Birth of a Nation, which we'll talk about in just a minute. One of the best-known performers was Thomas Dartmouth Rice, T.D. Rice. His number, Jump Jim Crow, brought this type of blackface to the mainstream stage during performances known as minstrel shows. As a result of the minstrel act, Jim Crow became a derogative slang for blacks and the slang term for Reconstruction era laws in existence through the 1960s, which uh, which codified racial segregation. This is where Jim Crow comes from. This is where the Jim Crow laws come from. Comes from the Jim Crow character created by T. D. Rice. It's about 1828-1829. The history of blackface is complex, and it remains, and its remnants are everywhere. The history of blackface is complex and its remnants are everywhere. Arthur Robert C. Toll, T-O-L-L, -L, wrote in an article 
for American heritage called Behind the Black Face. Behind the Black Face. He said, it is our, he said, it is in our supermarket shelves, in our advertising, in our literature, but most of all, it is in our entertainment, from ancient Mima to the character of Mammy and Gone with the Wind, from Uncle Remus to Uncle Ben, from Amos and Andy to Good Times. The inexplicably grinning blackface is a pervasive part of American culture, he wrote. Only, only very recently have black performers been able to break out. And if you were at the lecture I did uh, yesterday at Nandy's Knowledge Cafe, 71 Oakman Avenue, Highland Park, Michigan, I talked about how the um, there were three main films throughout history early in the um, 1900s that promoted the myth of the happy slave. One was The Birth of a Nation, February 8, 1915. The second one was... Um, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, which came out about 1912. It's a black and white movie, about 30 minutes in length, Uncle Tom's Cabin, okay? And the third movie was Gone with the Wind, 1939, starring Vivian Lee and Rhett Butler, okay? And Hattie McDaniels played the, the part of Mammy, the house slave. And you're going to have these different movies, that promote these images of the happy slave. So then you have a lot of people in the South who think, oh, slavery wasn't that bad. They were happy. We took care of them. They were almost like part of the family. They used to sing and dance for us. And, you know, we used to be entertained. Because when you watch the movie The Original Birth of a Nation, and it's on YouTube, it's a three-hour movie. It's, it's a silent movie. They sh The movie takes place during slavery, the Civil War, and post-Civil War, which is the Reconstruction Era about 1865 to 1877. They show the slaves on the plantation dancing and performing for the slave master, okay? It takes place in uh, Piedmont, South Carolina. Dr. Cameron is the slave master's name. And, and the white people are being entertained by them, right? Just like white people were entertained by minstrel shows, white people dressed up in blackface. So, quote, before the Civil War, American show business virtually excluded black people, okay? Um, Robert C. Toll wrote in his article, American Heritage, uh, in his article, Behind the Blackface. Before the Civil War, American show business virtually excluded black people. Now, Civil War is 1861 to 1865, so we can understand the time period that we're talking about. Quote, but it never ignored black culture. In fact, the minstrel show, the first uniquely American entertainment form, was born when northern white men blacked their faces, adopted heavy dialects, and performed. Now, Robert C. Toll added that minstrels, that the minstrel show popularity wasn't just in the Deep South. And this is what I said. It was popular up north also. Quote, the northern white public before the Civil War generally knew little about black people. But it knew that it did not welcome blacks as equals and that it did enjoy watching minstrels portray the oddities 
peculiarities and eccentricities of African Americans, of black people. Some thick red or white paint around the mouth helped to create and exaggerated the aesthetics of African Americans, showing them so when you look at blackface, you will see them usually with white paint around the lips to exaggerate the lips, okay? And it wasn't uncommon to see actors wear short, curly wigs to imitate the texture of black hair and tattered clothes to convey a disheveled appearance because they're dressing up looking like slaves, looking like they're poor. Even today, Gucci was pressured to pull sweaters that resembled blackface makeup. The company later apologized and said it was committed to diversity. Now, Jeffrey Blount, Blount, B-L-O-U-N-T, an author, journalist, and professor at George Washington University School of Media and Public Affairs, said the images denigrating African Americans were effective in shaping social and political discourse around what it means to be black. They were also, they were also instrumental in, in, in policies that were put in place, laws that were passed as well. He said, quote, blackface in America is homegrown propaganda. Blackface in America is homegrown propaganda, a visual element of domestic terrorism, end quote. The images and skits characterizing black Americans as lazy, ignorant, and hypersexual resonated with audiences. Quote, Frederick Douglass and other black leaders highlighted the intellectual capabilities of their people, yet the image of a doofus in blackface is what many whites preferred as the dominant representation of African Americans and their culture. Let me repeat that. Frederick Douglass and other black leaders highlighted the intellectual capabilities of African people. Yet the image of a doofus in blackface is what many whites preferred as the dominant representation of African Americans and their culture. Okay, Jeffrey Blount said. Now, Frederick Douglass also criticized the concept of blackface performers stealing a, quote, complexion denied them by nature, end quote, to make money and perpetuate stereotypes. So he's talking about white people dressing up in blackface, okay, mocking African Americans and our complexion, and they're doing this for money, perpetuating stereotypes, which are harmful and detrimental to the existence of African people. The mask of blackface today has not changed much from its roots. Burnt cork and grease were used to darken the skin, or... As Governor Ralph Northam said in describing dressing up like Michael Jackson during a performance in the 1980s, quote, a little shoe polish on my cheeks, end quote. Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring, he uh, said he and friends, quote, dressed up and put on wigs and brown makeup, end quote, singing songs in an apparent effort to emulate Curtis Blow and other rappers of the 1980s. Now, John, uh, now, Jeffrey Blount addressed the question 
as some have asked whether dressing up as a member of another race but not donning what is historically seen as blackface is offensive and related or separate. He said, yes, it is. While it isn't the equivalent of blackface, appropriation of other cultures in terms of dress is offensive. In the last couple of years, some artists have got, gotten in trouble dressing from other cultures in their videos. Uh, okay, let's go to the... Um, and you could read you could read the rest of this article. They talk about Ted dancing, dressing up in blackface back in the day when he used to be with Whoopi Goldberg. Never understood that relationship. Um, well, let's go to the let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Chuck line one. Chuck, uh, thanks for calling. Chuck, thanks for calling back in. Welcome to the African History Network show. Let people know where you're calling from. Chuck, are you there? Okay, I don't hear Chuck. Chuck, can you hear me? You're on the air. Okay, let's go to line two. Let's go to Tony. Line two, we'll come back to Chuck. Uh, Tony, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. Tony hung up. Okay, Tony, call back in. Okay, let's go back to Chuck. Line one. Chuck, thanks for holding. Welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, I'm calling from Detroit, and uh, I, I really appreciate uh, you uh, Brother uh, Hotel. Okay. And I uh, really appreciate you. Thank Hello, you. can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. You're very admirable, and I uh, really appreciate the information. Thank my, you. My question is, mm -hmm. uh, uh, with all that's been said and done, I mean, do you think it's, it's natural for um, each one of us as human beings to um, have the challenge when it comes to um, – ethnicity because like you say you know the language you know the dialect you know and things like that the different complexions and pigmentations and ethnicities cultures and traditions i mean you know i mean there's got to be a loop somewhere you know like how i got started and um the purpose of uh the challenge like it's like world olympics you know and uh to me and i would appreciate it you know I mean, some of us are not able to, to read, you know, or understand some of the uh, uh, language, you know, in, in, in particular. Okay. And I was wondering if maybe you can kind of like breeze through that, you know, a bit if it's not taking too much of your time. Uh, you know, and uh, what, I really what's, understand. What's, what's the question? Uh, the question is, you know, um, what 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 is your uh, – view on uh pretty much uh i would say um the journey of life the purpose of existence and uh the challenges that we go through with the differences that's uh that's here and present throughout the world okay all right all right thanks i'll try to answer that thanks for calling chuck all right so um that comes through obtaining knowledge and understanding an African concept of spirituality, cosmology, cosmology being under, being the uh, understanding of the universe as an orderly system. Um, you're here on earth to obtain knowledge and you're here on earth to be in harmony with nature. And through, uh, through the acquisition of knowledge, 
and spiritual awakening, you come to understand the powers of the creator that exists inside of you. This is coming from an African concept, not a European concept, because coming from a European concept, coming from a Christian European concept specifically, you're taught that you have to go through intermediaries to get through to the creator, and you're taught that you're born in sin. That's, that's coming from a, a European Christian concept coming out of their ecumenical councils, which start in 325 A.D. The African concept is entirely different. Okay, the, 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 the African concept is understanding that, that you are part of an orderly system and you are part of nature and you're not here to dominate nature. You're here to be in harmony with nature. And you acquire knowledge. So in Genesis, we're told that Adam and Eve in the, the story, quote unquote story, we're told that they were told by God not to eat of the tree of knowledge because they would become likened unto a God. That's the whole purpose. That's what, you, that's what you're supposed to do. Because when you understand an African concept of spirituality, we are God having a human experience. So when, and, and it was called the tree of knowledge. It wasn't, the call, it, it wasn't called the tree of ignorance. It was called the tree of knowledge. You, suppose, you, 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 you are supposed to acquire knowledge to elevate your conscious level. This is this is what the whole this is what the karest is, the rising of the spirit, the karest. In Greek they call it Christos. In English you call it Christ. Christ is a Christ is a title, not a name. So we're told that Christ means uh, anointed or the anointed one, but it comes from Christos, which is Greek, which comes from the karest. Ka K A R S T, karest, meaning the rising of the spirit. Is the awakening of the consciousness. So we have to reclaim what was taken away from us. Let's go to Tony, line two. Tony, welcome back to the African History Network show. Thanks for holding. Tell us where you're calling from. Uh, Detroit, thanks for taking my call, Michael. Um, great show. So uh, regarding the... Um, oh, you the know what? We're up against a break. Hold it right there, Tony. I realize we're up against a break, mandatory break. Stand by. We'll come back right to you. Listen to the African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. Future Radio will be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation of Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is uh, Sunday, February 10th, 2019. We're here every Sunday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? We have all of my DVD lectures there. You can sign up for the um, online courses. We have uh, online courses on demand, including Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school, okay? Uh, coming up Saturday, February 16th, I'm speaking in three places. I'm at Nandy's Knowledge Cafe, 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., uh, 71 Oakman Avenue, doing a double lecture dealing with the history of um, the Rosewood Massacre of 1923, January 1923, the Rosewood Massacre. We know there was a movie made about it by um, John Singleton, director John Singleton in 1997. Okay, we have that. Then uh, also I'll do a presentation dealing with uh, how African-American jockeys, horse jockeys, African-American jockeys used to dominate horse racing. Okay, because a lot of the early winners of the Kentucky Derby 
were African-American jockeys. And some, of them, some of them were former slaves. The first winner of the Kentucky Derby was Oliver Lewis. He was a 19-year-old African-American man. But we were systematically pushed out of horse racing, okay? And a lot of people don't, don't know this history. We were systematically pushed out of horse racing. Uh, there was a lot of jealousy, and, and white men wanted to take, take uh, the, the prize money, et cetera. So I'm going to deal with that uh, history, okay? That's at Nandy's Knowledge Cafe, 71 Oakman Avenue, Highland Park, Michigan, uh, right off of Hamilton, uh, um, Saturday, February 16th, 2019, free event, donations accepted, all right? And then also I'm speaking at the Booker Dozier Center in Inkster, Michigan, on Saturday, February 16th. So I had to leave Highland Park, drive out to Inkster. Uh, they, they are doing a Middle Passage ceremony and a middle, middle Passage commemoration at the uh, Booker Dozier Center, uh, 2025 Middle Belt Road in uh, Inkster, Michigan. Okay, so I'll be, I'm the keynote speaker there. And I'm speaking at a church Saturday morning, 9 a.m., and I'm trying to find that information here for you uh, also. I'll get that to you here in just a minute. But in the meantime, let's go back to line two. Let's go back to Tony, line two. Uh, thanks for uh, holding. Go ahead with your question or comment, Tony. Okay. So you were talking about the blackface. Um, the first imagery of clowns, you know, with the tattered clothes and uh, the knapsack and the uh, and the makeup on the face, exaggerated makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't that a continuation of the blackface phenomenon? The hobos. Um, the hobos, the clown hobo thing, and then yeah, know, not, the evolution of the clown. Now they have white face, they, they, but they they have white face, right? Those, those yeah, images but not in, not initially, uh, and then it evolved into the white face, and then there's been like the evolution of the clown. But I think it started with um, the black face imagery and the tattered clothes, and you know just being downtrodden. Yeah, uh, I think there's a, I think there's a connection there. Yeah, it's going to start with uh, the uh, the blackface, and then you, you're going to have um, the uh, hobos and things like this, but they're wearing tattered torn clothes. So I, I think there's a connection there. I've seen some information on that before, but I think there's a mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a connection there. My follow up: um, Why do you think our people just flock to Gucci and Prada and Marchino's um, to to buy uh, high price uh, ticket items, and they don't market to us. They disparage us in their advertising. Uh, why do you think that is so like the conspicuous consumption amongst you know certain elements in the black community? Because it's because think- because it's shown to us in. Uh, hip hop videos and it's in hip hop music, so it gets marketed. It gets marketed to us. They don't. It gets marketed to us like that, and the marketing is repetitive because you, you're yeah. going. You're going to listen to a Cardi B song, okay, uh, more times than you see the advertising for Gucci or something like that, or for Red Bottoms. True, true. Um, real quick, uh, you remember the book by uh, J. A. Rogers. Um, Hundred amazing facts about the Negro. Yes, was proof. Um, I had that book. I bought it twice, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a real good resource. And I'm, 
I can't find it. Uh, do you think uh, it's still in print or I could get access probably get to it? it, 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 it? Probably get it in Andy's oh, Knowledge Cafe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Michael. Okay. Take care. All right. Uh, quickly, let's go to John, line three. John, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. I'm calling from the east side of Detroit. Hotel, thank you for some small and telling history. Oh, thank you. And that can go a thousand miles, and I hope folks listen it and taping it. Hotel, I, you describe the, the, the way them, 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 uh, them, them Jim Crow with, with, with the picture of the African Americans, and, and I see they show the uh, uh, history of Gurdon, the, the, the Nazis, and, and a whole tech there. Uh, you, you had to get the picture from Jim Crow so that them cry. Because the picture, just like that they were doing the Jews. They, they, they were classified as. Is a picture of what? And, and, and rats. And, uh, and, and, and everything else, they were no good. And they, they, they would beat you out of penny. And, and, and I mean, the, the, the picture, what, the way you decided when Jim Crow was, uh, had this picture of African Americans. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, John? What are you talking about? Got what picture? Uh, not Nazi Germany. They, they showed how Nazi Germany pictured the Jews when they, when, when Hitler was there. A guy Germany made small and talked about them, how they were vermin, they were rats, right. they were no good. Kind of like the way Donald Trump talks about undocumented immigrants, even though he hasn't working for them at his golf courses and golf clubs. Hey, hey, exactly. That's right. And right. Uh, I remind you, they caught one of the Canadians today with $18,000 worth, worth of, uh, what you call it, a, a fentanyl? They, they call it fentanyl, a, a, yeah. Fentanyl, yeah. So, I mm-hmm. mean, I, I got hope Trump here about that. Uh, the and I right. Thank you, man. Thank okay. You very much, All right. Thank All right. You. Thanks, John. Thanks for calling. All right, um, we'll go back to the phone lines in just a minute. Three one three seven seven eight seventy six hundred is the call in number. If you have a question or comment, if you like this type of information, you want to donate to the African History Network, PayPal.me forward slash the AHN Show, PayPal.me forward slash the AHN Show. That helps us to keep doing the research, stay on the air, um, et cetera, pay the bills. Also, you can go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Now we have an eight DVD um, bundle pack. The uh, Breaking the Chains Bundle Pack features eight of my DVD lectures, including one dealing with the history of African-American History Month. That's an uh, online promotion at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, the eight DVD bundle pack. And uh, we'll, post the, um, we'll post the link for it here on the thread of the broadcast and also on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. So it's on sale, $50. I think it's regularly something like $130, something like, something like that. Okay, but the Breaking the Chains uh, Bundle Pack. All right. It includes uh, a presentation I did dealing with the history of Confederate monuments, uh, also the racist history of the White National Anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, the uh, Breaking the Chains video I did dealing with uh, the history of African American History Month and why it was created and, and exposing myths in our history. Also includes Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. Okay, so that's on sale right now at um, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We also have the uh, eight DVD bundle pack, the Africans that were here before Columbus, the Africans that were here before Columbus. And that includes a double lecture idea with Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. 
It uh, includes um, a lecture from Dr. John Henry Clark, the uh, Christopher Columbus and the African Holocaust. Also includes one from Dr. Ivan Van Sertima, who wrote uh, They Came Before Columbus. Okay. All right. So check that out at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Also, the Africans that were here before Columbus. All right. So right before the break, I was sharing with you this article from ABCNews.go.com entitled uh, Virginia Blackface Scandals, a Reminder of Racist Practice and its Traumatic Effect on African Americans. Virginia Blackface Scandals, a Reminder of Racist Practice and its Traumatic Effect on African Americans. Okay. So check out the rest of that article uh, in its entirety. They have a lot of uh, history information there. And they talk about uh, Burt Williams as well. They said, um, so, let's see. Thompson Summers added, okay, so um, they were saying that, uh, yes, it is offensive when other races um, appropriate other cultures in terms of dress. That's offensive. Uh, in the last couple of years, some artists have gotten in trouble dressing from other cultures in the in their videos. Thompson Summers added that, quote, racial identity is never a costume, end quote. Emulating someone is fine, but there's no reason to darken the skin. There are so many other ways to accessorize yourself. As the appeal for blackface began to fall off in the 20th century, okay, the 1900s, its use has become more controversial, but not unheard of. Ben Vereen, actor, entertainer, Ben Vereen, who we saw in Roots as Chicken George, attempted using blackface to depict the pain of the marginalization of black entertainers, specifically Burt Williams, who I talked about uh, a, little while, a little while ago, who was forced to perform in blackface during the early, early 20th century. The telecast cut off the performance before the end when it aired, and as a result, an ironic, an, an ironic portrayal became a caricature, the opposite of his intent, okay? So you can check out the rest of this article also. We'll post the uh, link on, on the thread of the broadcast on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. All right, so February 8th, this past week, February 8th was the anniversary of the movie The Birth of a Nation debuting, okay? The debut of uh, the film The Birth of a Nation, all right? And... A lot of people don't know the history about the movie The Birth of a Nation, okay? So History.com has a really good article about this, and we used to fight against uh, depictions of us, okay? We used to, uh, when this movie came out, there were protests that we led against the movie The Birth of a Nation. All right, so on February 8, 1915, uh, D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, a landmark film in the uh, History of Cinema pre premieres at Clunes Auditorium in Los Angeles, California. The silent film was America's first feature-length motion picture and a box office smash, and during its unprecedented three hours, D.W. Griffith popularized countless filmmaking techniques that remain central to the art today. Okay, this was the... Uh, this was a landmark movie, okay? This was the most expensive movie um, at the time, 
and this was also the longest movie at the time. It was three hours. Um, it was three hours in length. All right, so let's continue. However, because of its explicit racism, Birth of a Nation is also regarded as one of the most offensive films ever made, actually titled The Klansman for its first month of release, but they spell Klansman with a C, okay? Actually titled The Klansman for its first month of release. The film provides a highly subjective history of the Civil War, Reconstruction, and the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. Studied today as a masterpiece of political propaganda, Birth of a Nation caused riots in several cities and was banned in other cities, but was seen by millions. Okay? So, David Wark Griffith, W-A-R-K. This is where the D-W comes from. His name was David Wark Griffith. He was born in LaGrange, Kentucky, in 1879, 10 years after slavery ended, same year Dr. Carter G. Woodson was born. He was the son of an ex-Confederate colonel. His father died when he was seven years old, and he later dropped out of high school to help support his family. After holding various jobs, he began a successful career as a theater actor. He wrote several plays and on the advice of a colleague sent some scenarios for one real films to the Edison Film Company and the Biograph Company. The Edison Film Company and the Biograph Company. Now, in 1908, he was hired as an actor and writer for the Biograph Studio and soon was promoted to a position as director. Between 1908 and 1913, D.W. Griffith made more than 400 short films for Biograph, okay, the Biograph Company. Between 1908 and 1913, he made more than 400 short films. With the assistance of his talented cinematographer, G.W. Billy Bitzer, B-I-T-Z-E-R, he invented or refined such important cinematic techniques as the close-up the scenic long shot, the moving camera shot, and the fade in and fade out. His contributions to the art of editing during this period included the flashback and parallel editing in which two or more separate scenes are intermixed to give the impression that the separate actions are happening simultaneously. He also raised the standard on movie acting initiating scene rehearsals before shooting and assembling a stock company of film professionals. Many of these actors included, including Lillian and Dorothy Gish, G-I-S-H, Mary Pickford, Mae Marsh, and Lionel Barrymore. They went on to become some of Hollywood's first movie stars. Taking his cue from the longer spectacle films, Produced in Italy in 1913, D.W. Griffith produced Judith of Bethulia, a biblical adaptation that at four reels, R-E-E-L-S, four reels, was close to an hour long. It was his last biograph film. Two years later, he released his epic ten-reel masterpiece, Birth of a Nation, for mutual films. Now, Birth of a Nation 
was based upon a novel called The Klansman by a man named Thomas Dixon, okay? And the, the novel The Klansman tells the turbulent story of American history in the 1860s as it followed the fictional lives of two families from the North and the South. Throughout its three hours, African Americans are portrayed as brutish, lazy, morally degenerate, morally degenerate, and dangerous. In the film's climax, the Ku Klux, the Ku Klux Klan rises up to save the South from the Reconstruction era prominence of African Americans in Southern public life. Riots and protests broke out at screenings of the movie The Birth of a Nation in a number of northern cities and the recently formed NAACP, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, embarked on a major campaign to have the film banned. They embarked on a major campaign to have the film banned. It eventually was censored in several cities and D.W. Griffith agreed to change or cut out some of the film's especially offensive scenes. Nevertheless, millions of people happily paid to witness the spectacle of Birth of a Nation, which featured a cast of more than 10,000 people and a dramatic storyline far more sophisticated than anything released to that date. For all the gross historical inaccuracies, certain scenes such as meetings of Congress, Civil War battles, and the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln were meticulously recreated, lending the film an air of legitimacy that made it so effective as propaganda. The Ku Klux Klan, which, who was suppressed by the federal government in the 1870s, was refounded in Georgia in December 1915 by William J. Simmons because the film The Birth of a Nation helped to rejuvenate the Ku Klux Klan. In addition to being anti-black, the new Klan was anti-Catholic and anti-Semitic and anti-immigrant. And by the early 1920s, it had spread throughout the North as well as the South. At the peak of its strength in 1924, membership in the KKK is estimated to have been as high as 3 million. There is no doubt that the movie The Birth of a Nation played no small part in winning wide public acceptance for an organization that was originally founded as an anti-black and anti-federal terrorist group. And uh, history, the History Channel has a documentary dealing with how the Ku Klux Klan helped empower the mafia, especially the Italian mafia, because the Ku Klux Klan advocated for prohibition in the 1920s. And its prohibition that's going to give rise also to the mafia with bootleggers, you know, Al Capone and things like this, right? So they have a documentary that, that deals with this, okay? Um, and they may have it at their website, history.com. You can check on it. But it deals with how the Ku Klux Klan inadvertently empowered the mafia. And also, um, back at this time, the Klan... They were against, uh, they didn't like German immigrants. A lot of these white immigrants, Italian immigrants, Greek immigrants, things like this, the Klan didn't like them. You had to be a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male 
at least 16 years old to join the Ku Klux Klan. Okay, they didn't let Catholics join. They didn't let Jews join. And the Klan also targeted white Republicans. They didn't like white Republicans either because the Republican Party was the party of Lincoln, and it's going to be a civil war that ends slavery. So they didn't like Republicans. And when you look at the rise of the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s, it's going to be the fact that the Republican Party starts to ignore the issues and concerns of African Americans. And in 1928, you're going to have the Lily White movement that starts in the Republican Party, basically pushed and led by Herbert Hoover, who's the Republican candidate for president in 1928. He's running against a Northern Democrat named Al Smith. This is going to be the beginning of African-Americans to start leaving the Republican Party and going to the Democratic Party because the Republican Party were ignoring our issues and expressed it and especially they were ignoring our concerns about the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. Okay. This was going, so our, our concerns were falling on deaf ears and we're being pushed out of the Republican party. And we find the democratic party, even though we're leery of them, we find them more receptive. And a lot of African-Americans like president Franklin Roosevelt and his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Otis line one. Welcome to the African history network show. Otis, thanks for calling. Tell us where you're calling from. Yeah, Otis Mathis calling from African Town, uh, forty two one seven eight two four in South of Detroit. Listen to you on nine ten. Okay, yeah. thanks. Yeah, um, I was listening to you talking about how people select, especially young people, select their clothing very expensive by what they, by uh, how they see these rappers and entertainers. So even though there's no benefit of marketing or using. Yeah. Yeah, that's an African influence. American. Yes, yeah, an influence. influence. Mm-hmm. But what was the influence back? And I look at old pictures of my parents in, mm-hmm. in 1928 forward up until maybe the early 70s before Soul Train and all that came out. What was the influence on them dressing in gators and and suits? They didn't call them designer suits, but they went to seal suckers. They knew seal suckers was worse. You didn't buy them. You bought the quality suit, even though there was no marketing in African communities then. Mm-hmm. They were dressing like that. Uh, it, it, you're going to have influence from other people we saw in our community, entertainers that we saw, things like this in in, in our community. We'll, you'll see that uh, even in like some. Uh, I'm not exactly sure which magazines at that time. You talking about the 1920s? Uh, and, well, it may have been in the 20s. My father, yeah, because my father was born in 1928. Mm-hmm. And I see pictures of him, uh, you know, as a uh, younger daughter, and it's early, uh, when he came home from the service, about 20 years old, so about 1948 and right. later. You can see pictures of him in suits, you know, mm-hmm. matching gangster hats. And I think when you said that, they do make sense, because even in the 20s, the entertainers, couldn't live in the white communities. They were trapped in the black communities. They were hanging out in the black bars, hotels, right. and they dressed well. So I didn't think about it like that. Well, we'll see. We'll see. And we'll, we'll see no entertainer. Media. Yeah, we'll see entertainers right. influence the way we dress. But also, right. many of us dress more like men. Women dress more like women. You didn't see brothers right. walking around with pants hanging off their behinds. You didn't see right. brothers. They weren't running around wearing jerseys. 
you know, they're wearing suits, you know, they, they, they dress to um, impress the ladies, but they dress like men. They wore hats. You know, you go look at those pictures from the 1930s, 40s, 50s. You don't see brothers walking around with their pants hanging off their behind. You don't no, see no. brothers walking yeah, around with, with their pants around their thighs. Right, bro. Yeah, because my father and uncles and them were sharp. And those little right. towns in Pennsylvania, they was even sharp. And the mountains right. of they were suited now. Right. But you think that was because that was the dress style? If pants would hanging it, down back in the 20s and 30s, they would have uh, selected well, the it, would, it wouldn't have happened. Style. It wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have been tolerated. Because we had better standards. It would not have been tolerated. <laughs> it would not have been tolerated. No. <laughs> right. Because I know my son never wore because it wasn't tolerated. He's 42 now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't tolerated in our home. Right. And so you don't see any picture of all the pictures. He loved taking pictures. Right. And all the pictures coming up through even high school, you don't see his pants hanging. Right. You know, in his early 20s. But that was something that was not tolerated. Uh, if he bought them, we burned them. And right. so he just kind of got hooked to it. Ain't no sense of me having that fight. And even today at 40, you see his dress is more still upline, uh, you know, more, you know, he, he's not dressing. And you see older gentlemen at his age wearing droopy pants. And, right. And that's a surprise, too. Right. Well, they're trying, to, they're trying to imitate some of the young guys when they should be setting right. an example. They should be right. setting okay. an example. And they're trying to imitate them. The 20s and, yeah, the 20s and 30s that the imitation was the entertainers and fans who couldn't live in the white community, the white neighborhoods, so they were in the black community. So our black parents and them saw them when they went to clubs or saw them walking the right. streets or the entertain. It was always in the right. white suit. All right, I got to get this other call because we're almost out of time. Right, Thanks thank for calling. Thank you very much. All right, let's go to Francis, line two. Francis, uh, welcome to the African yes. History Network show. Go, yes. ahead with, go ahead with your you question know, or comment. Um, yes, you know, they even had cartoon characters in blackface. Yeah. I remember when I was a child, uh, the characters, they had real black faces, big white lips and white eyes. And, you know, Walt Disney's cartoons were notorious for that because he used to have these characters, these, these black crows sitting in a tree laughing and talking. They had black faces and big red boots, and they were talking real ignorant. So, right. you know, that's just ingrained. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah we, we, there's, a, there's a history of that, absolutely. Mm, so that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Okay, thanks for calling. All right, so um, read this article from uh, History.com, official website of the History Channel. February 8, 1915, Birth of a Nation opens. And um, they go on to say, at the peak of its strength in 1924, membership in the KKK is estimated to have been as high as 3 million. There is no doubt that Birth of a Nation played no small part in winning wide public acceptance for an organization that was originally founded as an anti-black and anti-federal terrorist group of D.W. Griffith's later films, Intolerance in 1916 is the most important. Um, And they go on to say that um, he went on to make 27 films, okay, 27 more films after after the birth of a nation. In 1919, 1919, the year after World War I ends, D.W. Griffith founded United Artists Studios with Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford and Charlie Chaplin. They went on to found United Artists Studios. Okay. If you read the book, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy, they talk about the movie, The Birth of a Nation. And they deal with how Louis B. Mayer was the man who distributed the movie. He took the profits that he made from distributing the movie, Birth of a Nation. 
he teamed up with two other men named Metro and Goldwyn, and they formed Metro Goldwyn Mayor Studios, MGM Studios. Okay, read How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. All right, so if we look very quickly, because we run out of time, we may have to do with some of this next week. William Monroe Trotter, uh, William Monroe Trotter's boycott of the birth of a nation laid the foundation for the civil rights movement. This is an article from AtlantaBlackStar.com. Because William Monroe Trotter, when the movie comes to Boston, he leads protests against the movie. The NAACP leads protests against the movie also. There's a documentary from Independent Lands on PBS called Birth of a Movement. Birth of a Movement. Um, and PBS.org uh, has an article from February 2nd, 2017. Filmmakers tell story of William Trotter's fight against racist silent blockbuster. Filmmakers tell story of William Trotter's fight against racist silent blockbuster. And this deals with William Monroe Trotter fighting against the movie The Birth of a Nation. TheRoot.com has an article from May 1st, 2015. How Black America Rallied to Stop the Racist Film Birth of a Nation. And it talks about a uh, hundred years ago on March 3rd, 1915, to be exact, a war consumed Europe and the United States tried to steer clear of entanglements because the U.S. didn't get involved in World War One, basically to 1917. Some of the best minds and most passionate social justice advocates had one goal to stop the opening of D.W. Griffith's movie, The Birth of a Nation at the Liberty Theater in New York City's Times Square. Charlotta Bass. B.A.S.S., editor of the West Coast's oldest newspaper, black, news, black newspaper, the California Eagle, had sounded the alarm some days before in a telegram to NAACP headquarters warning about a hideous film that was wowing white film goers in Los Angeles, California, despite efforts to have it banned. Leaders of the six-year-old New York-based organization, the NAACP, led mainly by white philanthropists, sprang into action. Through lobbying, letter writing, and litigation, they spearheaded a campaign that for most of the rest of the year saw them and their allies in the black press trying to outrun the publicity juggernaut that turned the birth of a nation into the talk of the nation. Charlotte Bass and her husband, Joe, had been onto the story for about a decade since Thomas Dixon's novel, The Klansman, had become a play that eventually became the movie The Birth of a Nation. If you read Before the Mayflower by Lerone Bennett Jr., in the back of the book it has a chronology of history. Go to 1906. In 1906, the play The Klansman came to Philadelphia, and you had 3,000 African Americans who protested against the play The Klansman in 1906. We know that the NAACP led protests against the movie The Birth of a Nation, right? But today the NAACP gives image awards to the TV show Empire, which is the birth of a nation of his day. That's a, that's, that looks like a minstrel show. That shows derogatory, demeaning, denigrating images of African Americans promoting chem, uh, criminality and promiscuity, and they use hip-hop and music to hook you, to get you to tune in each week to see this minstrel show called Empire on the Fox Network, the Fox TV network owned by Rupert Murdoch, who also owns the Fox cable network that attacks African Americans on a daily basis. So we'll deal with some of this uh, next week. I'll see you all at Nandy's Knowledge Cafe Saturday, uh, February 16th, 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. 
and uh, we'll get the uh, information. I was trying to uh, find it, but we'll get the uh, information for the upcoming screenings of uh, the next installments of African Americans, Many Rivers to Cross, also at the um, uh, that, that the city of Inkster is doing, okay? Because they have um, uh, 28 days of African American uh, events uh, for African American history. Well, visit their website, cityofinkster.com, cityofinkster.com, right on the home page. Uh, click on events. Hopefully, they uh, have it up there. Actually, I think I found the calendar here because they sent me a calendar. So February uh, February twelfth, okay, they're going to be at uh, Christ Temple City of Ref- Refuge two seven seven four one Carlisle Street in Inkster, Michigan. That's six p.m. I'll be there because I'm leading the discussion. Six p.m. to eight p.m. That's for part three, and then part four is uh, Thursday at uh, High Praise Cathedral four zero. One zero Moore Street in uh, in Inkster, but we'll try to get this. Uh, see if they can put together a flyer. Get it at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, thanks for listening to the African History Network show, nine ten a.m. Superstation, the Future Radio. Mike Limhotep. Right now, it's correct wrong behaviors. Not over till we win. Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. The nine ten a.m. app has been integrated with Alexa and is now live in the App Store. To use nine ten a.m. on your Alexa device, you can say Alexa commands in two ways. If your Fire TV device has a microphone button, you can hold down the microphone button to say the commands. If you've linked your Echo or Echo Dot to your Fire TV, you can use the trigger word Alexa without pushing your microphone buttons to say commands. Start listening to nine ten a.m. Superstation now from the comfort of your home.